Hi guys, welcome back to SOD Talks. I'm Asna. I'm Emma. And I'm Yasmin. And today we have a very special guest. We have Nicole Dimson, who is the graphic design coordinator at the School of Design. We talk about her career, uh, the places that she's worked at, everything she's learned over the years. And she's also a typography and ideas and images professor. We've had her for both and it was a pleasure. We've learned so much with her and she talks about everything to do with those courses. And yeah, just keep on listening. Enjoy. I've been seeing this in a lot of podcasts when people have uh, interview, when people are interviewing. Let's see an elevator pitch. Like if you were in an elevator and placed in an elevator and someone was like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> and you only have like you're going up like six floors. Oh, God. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, who am I? <laughs> so basically, I would say my name's Nicole Dimson. I have been a part of the world of design from day one. My father was a graphic designer, so I came into this world with someone that visuals were always very important. I love the world of design, and I love educating young people and getting them excited about the world of design. And that is my goal. That has always been my goal, to get people turned on and excited just about the world and the capabilities of what they can do as a designer. So I feel like in some weird way, I guess the modern term would be is I'm an influencer to young people who want to be in the design world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love that. yeah. So that would be it because it's just a, I've, I just have a passion for it. Yeah. And always have. And yeah. So there's my sixth floor <laughs> sort of pitch. I could go on and on and on about other things. I was thinking this morning, even about, the fact that now I'm, I am basically an educator. I'm no longer a practicing graphic designer. I do do some small jobs. Mm -hmm. And in the past, when I was doing both, I used to think I could never, ever give up doing design because even mm -hmm. after a long day at school, nothing excited me more than getting home to my studio and doing design. It rejuvenated my soul, even after a long day of teaching. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I'll never give this up. I didn't yeah. give it up. I sort of had a choice. In one year, I lost every single client I had. And it happens every once mm -hmm. in a while. It tended to be that a company was sold, someone else moved from another company. I used to do stuff for a camp. The young daughter took over and she wanted new people. I used to do a lot of things for a U of T in the various departments and the people were heading the departments left. They wanted new people, but it all happened in one year. Yeah. yeah. So I remember thinking, okay, I have a choice. I can go out and start banging on doors and trying to jump, drum up more work, or I can teach more. So yeah. I opted for teaching more. Mm -hmm. um, I have moments, I'll be honest with you. I wish I was doing more design work. And yes, I should be more doing my own personal projects. But now as a coordinator, I don't have quite as much free time as I thought I would I have. I can only imagine. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's it is all year round and it never, ever ends. And I want to be there for the students. I want to be there for the professors as well to be able to get their answers answered, to be able to facilitate any help I can give to a student as well. Yeah. So in essence, it is a full time job, even though yeah. I'm only a part time professor. Yeah. But mm -hmm. it is also a, a, a bit of a conscious choice. 
-hmm. I've decided that I am going to put my energy towards this. I do not think about pay. I do not think about um, the fact is if I went out and started banging on doors, I could probably be making a heck of a lot more money, but I really love what I do. Mm-hmm. And I'm fortunate at this stage of my life that we have a house that's paid for, you know, so I don't have this huge, I, my expenses aren't as crazy as they used to be. I, yeah. also, I, li- I live a simple life as well. I'm not someone that needs a lot of consumeristic stuff. I've yeah. sort of gone through that stage in my life and now it's like, I know what's important and what isn't. So yeah, I'd say and it shows that you're just so dedicated to what you do, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. having yeah. you as a teacher um, has been an amazing experience. Yeah. Like going into it your has. classes, you can just so tell that you're so passionate and that you care about us. And mm-hmm. it makes the world of a difference. I want to say congratulations too to your educator award that you got. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. When, congratulations. Yeah, I was watching the award show and the educator, they were like, we're giving out awards to educators. And I was like, if Nicole doesn't win this, I'm <laughs> so pissed. I was like, Nicole better win this. Like, she gives 110%. And then your name oh. popped up and I was like, yes. Okay, good. <laughs> well, it was an interesting award because, you know, it was chosen by the students. This had nothing to do with management. It had nothing to do with faculty whatsoever. And the students had to take it upon themselves to write in, to show the work they did in the class and answer 12 interesting questions about why this person should deserve this award. So it was lovely. And I think the nicest thing, yes, it was really nice to receive it and to sort of be noticed that I do put everything I have into, into the course and to the students. And it was nice to read the letters. That was probably this, this, the nicest thing was to read people talking about why they want, they felt that I should deserve one. And, yeah. It was nice, you know, and yeah. it was sort of, it. well, it made me realize that, yes, everything that I'm doing in my classes to try to get the students excited is working, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, and getting them excited about the world of design, because the impression I got from chatting with a few people afterwards is, sadly, not every professor does that. They mm-hmm. do their class and then that's it, but they're not yeah. talking about the world of design is a fabulous world. You want to be a part of it. You want to be involved. You want to get all these links and to hear about it and get turned on by a new typeface being sent to you and get excited because you're linked into design taxi or communication arts or applied arts or whatever it is. Because I really believe that every student that walks in should hold their head up high and be proud of the fact that they are becoming designers. Yeah. And in the old days, when I was a student at George Brown College, the difference was we all had portfolios. Yeah. Because everything was done by hand. And you walked around with that portfolio like it was a badge of honor. (laughs) Honestly, it made you feel so good. And people could look at you on the street and they know, oh, they're an artist. They're a designer. Yeah. I wonder what they do. And there was something nice about that. Like this was your... You carried this thing around. It was your most prized possession because Mm -hmm. all of your work was in it. And it was lovely. And now students don't have that. You don't have that sort of badge of honor where people could even ask you on the subway, oh, you're an artist. What do you do? 
Because yeah, it yeah. was just, it, that's, that was the note. Like that was what it said all the time. So I'm glad it comes across because I do love this world of design. And I love the fact that students who, I know even myself, I grew up with a father who was a graphic designer and I grew up with a mother who was an editor. Wow. Editing and writing was not my forte at all. I could do a sentence that would be uh, two paragraphs long with no punctuation. My mother could never understand it, but I realized I was very visual. And it took me a long time, even when I finished high school. I, my mother made me go to grade 13, which was a doable thing back then. And even after that, I took a year off and I worked as a receptionist wow. coffee girl in an architect firm. Worst mm -hmm. job of my life. <laughs> um, honest to goodness, what it did was it made me realize I want to be a designer. Even yeah. if my father is so well known across this country, this is what I want. I can't compete with what he's doing. He's standing out onto his own. But I need, this is the world I need to be a part of and I want to be a part of. So it took that leap of faith to do it. And for the first time was successful in school, which shocked my family. You mean she's doing well? You mean she's getting good marks? What's going on? And it's because I found what I wanted and that passion. And then that's what I want for every student. So at one point I was going around to the high schools promoting the school. And I would go to the counselors and I would say, I want the kids whose hair is 22 different colors, the ones who sit in their basement, who are the misfits in your school, yeah. the ones that see the world in a different way. They're the ones that need to get into design as well as the rest of everybody. But those ones who don't know what they're doing and they're, mm -hmm. they're just avant-garde and they're unusual because the counselors used to say, well, we don't know where to, to guide them, guide them towards design, yeah, guide yeah. Them towards the arts, because this is where they need to be. Yeah. We also have fantastic students who come from science backgrounds and math backgrounds because their parents push them into it. Mm -hmm. And they have a beautiful way of looking at life as well. So I just wanted anyone with a curiosity and anyone that saw the world in a different way. Not yeah. the way their parents saw it, not the way their parents wanted them to see the world, because there, I think there's so much more to offer out there. Just to backtrack a little bit, you said that that receptionist job really put in perspective that design was what you wanted to do. Was that always your perspective or like growing up, did you kind of rebel against going into design because your dad was such like an influential and Actually, like a prominent designer? Not really. And my parents divorced when I was three, which was, wow. you know, not uncommon. It happens mm -hmm. today. But I'll give my dad credit. We saw him every single weekend. Mm -hmm. So and back then, this is when parent when kids would see their fathers once a month for dinner. That's okay. the way divorce oh, dealt wow. with. I was the only kid in class whose parents were divorced. But mm -hmm. my father would pick us up on Saturday morning. He would give us our allowance, which was a nickel or a quarter. <laughs> we would stop at the corner store and we would get a little paper bag full of candy. And then we would drive up to his studio and okay. he would give us pads of paper and markers. And yeah. while he worked, we drew. 
and caused havoc in the studio. <laughs> I recall it. Um, my mother was very strict with, with non-sugary foods, but there was Coca-Cola in the fridge at my dad's fine <laughs> studio. So we'd all be hopped up on sugar. <laughs> um, and so I witnessed design. I was around it all the time. Mm-hmm. It didn't deter me ever because I ended up going, my mother was the academic side, right? My father was also extremely intelligent and very academic, but he went into the arts. He came from a Greek family where one child would be educated in post-education. The brothers paid for my father's schooling. Oh, wow. He was the youngest of four children, and he was a boy. Mm -hmm. And you were going to school, and we are going to pay your way through. All of my, my, so he had two brothers and a a sister. They were all artistic, by the way, which is interesting. All Mm -hmm. were. But my father showed this incredible artistic promise if I could show you his kindergarten book, you'd have a fit. It's perfect. Oh, my gosh. He's a five-year-old kid, but he was very precise. Everything was done in a very, he was just, he really was given the mm-hmm. gift of vision, basically, for design. So growing up and being a part of that, my mother sent me to Jarvis Collegiate. I lived in Cabbage Town at the time. And she said, you're going to Jarvis like your older sister. And I just hated it. It was so academic. Everyone there mm-hmm. was doing the university track. I think I passed with a 55% in, in grade nine, and I failed math and had to take summer school. And I had really wanted to go to Northern Secondary, which was a high school that was quite far away. It was up at Mount Pleasant in Eglinton, but it, okay. had, an art, it had an arts program. Mm-hmm. Okay. So because my marks were so terrible, <laughs> she let me go to the Northern Secondary where I could take design and illustration, oh. life drawing and pottery and copper wow. and, and stained glass. So I could take all the core important subjects, but I was also exposed to the arts in every mm-hmm. way. And it was a struggle. I am not an artiste. I am not someone that loves life drawing. I absolutely hated that (laughs) I'm not an artist and I used to think that being a graphic designer you had to be an artist and I felt like a little bit of a fraud that sort of Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome so I did well in my core classes but my sister was university bound I was not Mm -hmm. and I realized as I said like even with that around the one thing and I admit my father was educated at OCAD, OCAD University as it's called now Mm-hmm. I didn't want to go there. No. Because as soon as I said my name, they would all ask me, "Is your fa- Are you related yeah. to Simpson?" Yeah. And so I knew that there was this kind of shadow that was over. Mm-hmm. And at the time, my mother's husband actually taught at OCAD University, which was OCA still back in the yeah. day. And I sat down and talked to him, and he said to me, "I'm going to be honest with you." The department you want to go into is a mess right now. You're not going to get the education that you need. It's that bad. I suggest you find another school. So I started hunting around and I went all the open houses at all the different schools in the city. And George Brown was the one where I thought, this looks pretty good. This looks interesting. And I never looked back. You know, it was one of those things. And even my father came to the open houses at the end. Yeah. He admired the work that I had created and what I had done. And he said, you've got good creativity and you've got good applied skills. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, OCA always had that sort of lure. Um, I did apply to go to OCA after second year, but they wanted me to only be a part-time student. Okay. They knew that I wanted to be full-time. They don't, they, at the time, they didn't allow people to come in in advanced standing in any way. Mm-hmm. So they wanted you to do first year all over again. And because I had wow. a bit of knowledge, they said, yeah, we can put you in second year, but only as part-time student. And I thought, no. Yeah. You know, stay at George Brown and finish up there. What was so different about George Brown compared to the other graphic design programs? Like what kind of made you choose it? I believe it was the quality of the work. So when I went to the open houses, I would go and listen to the professors speak. But the most important thing for me was to walk around the halls and look at the work that the students Mm -hmm. were doing. And Mm -hmm. at that time and you know, as you know, as well, in George Brown, we try to make sure we've got a lot of the students work up. So to me, that was the strongest indication of the kind of quality of work that I would end up doing. Mm-hmm. And I felt that George Brown was more focused on the design part, not so much the art part, because you have mm-hmm. to remember, I graduated school in 1986. So everything was still being done by hand. And that, and many of the schools were focusing much more, take a lot of life drawing classes, take a lot of, <laughs> no, thank you. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. So I, you know, I enjoyed learning how to see because that's what these classes do. But my stars, as soon as I could drop it, I was out of there. So fast. <laughs> and, and as I said, you sort of had to learn to, it took me a long time to realize that being a graphic designer didn't mean you were an artist. So, you know, if I had drawing class and I had to go and draw a house in Cabbage Town, I learned how to cheat and cheat really well. (laughs) I learned to bring a camera. I learned to take a photograph and boy, can I trace. And that's what it's all about. So, and I remember feeling very guilty about this and being very quiet about it until I had a teacher say to me, no, you were a designer. You're not an artist. And you figured out how to make it work best for you. And I thought that's what I needed was someone to say, you don't have to be able to draw to be a designer. They're two totally different things. Even back in the day where we actually had to do marker renderings and you had to draw out your layout. I just learned how to trace really, really well and make it work. So it didn't matter that I didn't know how to draw. So that was, they had the equipment. George Brown always had state of the art state-of-the-art equipment as well they just seem to be very much more advanced and to be honest it was a downtown college yeah and I could still live at home I didn't Mm -hmm. have to pay rent and I didn't have to commute for an hour to get out to Seneca there weren't as many schools back then but they were all far away whereas George Brown was downtown and it was a streetcar drive ride for me and I'd get to school Mm -hmm. so was George Brown still like was the graphic design campus still around St. James back then? It was actually in the main campus on King Street. We, okay. were on the sec- we were on the second floor. And if you can imagine this, there was a huge atrium in the middle of that building. Oh, so wow. All the floors up, all the way up to the fort. And there were only four floors. They didn't have yeah. a sixth floor. But the school was a big square around this atrium where cool. the students would be down there hanging out. They do different things for the different classes, but we basically had the second floor to ourselves. 
Wow. So the floor, just purely of art and design. And when they started building, because George Brown was becoming bigger and bigger and they needed more space, they built in the atrium. So there were, there were floors all the way across. Oh, okay. Then we had to start sharing it with a bit of business people. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, just with the, the amount of space. And there was a bit of controversy. I'll never forget hearing... I wasn't teaching at that time, but I had left school and I was still con- connected with many of my professors that there were complaints about the life drawing images up on the walls. Oh, really? Oh, wow. oh, and as all of a sudden the business people were in, why are there pictures of naked people on the wall? Yeah. And there was a real controversy over that because the professors did not want to take them down. Mm-hmm. It felt that we should be able to, uh, you know, revere the work that they do and the body, but there were a lot of complaints. And at the time, the chair and the dean decided to take them down. And I know wow. a few people that actually left the school because of that. Oh, really? Oh, wow. Because they no longer want to teach because it felt like that they were being controlled, that political mm-hmm. correctness was pushing things a little bit too far. But the difference was back then, we were in one classroom, the teachers came to us. Yeah, you were saying that. That's so cool. And it was terrible when I even think back. We all smoked in the classrooms. (laughs) (laughs) We had ashtrays on our desk. We'd have a ghetto blaster set up. Someone would have a coffee machine. But it meant that this was like a little studio space. And you were there. And we lived there. The people that were really into it, we were there from 8 in the morning till 11 o'clock at night. You didn't go home to do your homework. You stayed at school. Yeah. So there was something really nice about this community that was built and you would work with each other. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And we lived there Mm -hmm. basically. So it was really quite nice in that sense. It was a different setup. We all had to have a lot of paints and inks and boards and the desks even had a setup that you could put your portfolio in and pull drawers out and you could tilt the desktop up. So it was a better setup than most people had at home. Yeah. Yeah. It was, mm-hmm. it was a really nice way to, you know, make lifelong friends, basically, because you were you were together all the time. And you yeah. got each other and you were growing and changing and all those wonderful. I, know. I miss that. Yeah. I know. Me too. I miss it so much. <laughs> and just like meeting new people. Like, yeah. Like, I've got you guys, which I'm so grateful for. Mm-hmm. But like the amount of people that we would have met this year at yeah. campus like I'm yeah. just like ah <laughs> and it's so hard because you have you know an influx of 130 students every new students coming in in our department alone let alone interaction and game and what have you mm-hmm. so yeah no we realize how difficult it is and it's it's sad to think that we're going to be going through this again in the fall mm-hmm. and it's going to be online so Yes, it is not easy times. No one is having fun. Yeah. But I'm still very impressed with how well everyone's been doing. Yeah. Mentally yeah. preparing myself for online sem- fall yeah. semester. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. Same. Same. <clears throat> and I think everyone's the same. You're sort of realizing, I mean, you guys are fortunate enough to know what worked and what didn't work and what you need to do to shift um, things for yourself, whether it's going for a walk every day and just getting out of your house and getting that fresh air. That's the big thing that I realized. I have to get out every single day. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. when I and when I wasn't, I could really feel myself start to go down, down, down. And I used to think, what's going on? And I thought, I haven't been out. I haven't gone for a walk. That's mm-hmm. what it is. So for me, that was the key. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. To being able to survive. Definitely. New reality. Yeah. <laughs> you no, know, because like even when school wasn't like session, I would just walk from Union to campus because it was just. It's like a nice 15, 10, 15 minute walk. Yeah. Yeah. And that itself was like so refreshing. Yeah. It was fun. Well, you get to decompress, right? Yeah. Or, or to get yourself up towards your classes that you're doing. And there was something nice about that. Mm-hmm. We will get back there. We will. I hope so. <laughs> Hopefully, winter. Hopefully. This is what the, everyone's crossing their fingers winter 2022. Yeah. winter 2022 over and over and over again so we're hoping that that's that'll be our the time where we can put the last two years behind us <laughs> never <laughs> think of them again <laughs> yeah. or realize i mean there have been some good things i mean i sure you notice in your neighborhood neighborhoods are changing I love that people are outside more, they're on their porches yeah. more, mm-hmm. the kids are playing on the street again. All yeah. those things I think are a wonderful change. People will have a simpler life schedule. Mm-hmm. They're not whipping around all over the place, running from work to the gym, to mm-hmm. night classes, to this, to that, like the constant go, 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 go. I think it'll be interesting to see the balance that people have, but I do predict that it's going to be crazier than the 1920s. This 2020s is good. People mm. are, oh, they're going to go crazy. Yeah, definitely. My I will God. admit, like, <laughs> I will admit that 8 a.m. classes have gotten a lot easier. Yes. You don't have to leave the house at 6 a.m. anymore. I hear yeah. that, my friend. I had myself because I would, I'm not a morning person. Oh, I am physically not feeling good when I have to get up at 6 a.m. And I was the same. And I'd be like a wreck. <laughs> trying to get over to the school. It's like, classes, here we go. Um, I tried desperately to try and change that, by the way, but we can't because of night school. Oh. So I really, really tried to see, we've got to change the hours. You know, we have to put in <laughs> uh-huh. an extra break between the three and six o'clock class or the 12 and three o'clock classes. We have to do this, but we can't because of night school. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they start at six and we can have classes running past. Yeah. I tried. No one likes 8 a.m. classes, especially during snowstorms and whatnot. Oh, yeah. There is something to be said about not having to commute that early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least. But going into third year, you won't have many 8 a.m. classes, I don't think. I hope not. <laughs> you can pick things and based on your time. So what was it like finding a job after you graduated from George Brown? Well, I was one of the students that was in field placement. Okay. And so it started, they called it co-op back in the day. And you had, um, I think it was, was it six weeks, four weeks to six weeks working at a studio. Yeah. And they offered me a job. Uh, So that was really exciting. And many, many people, even today, as you know, this is one of the wonderful things about field placement, because a company gets to check you out Mm -hmm. for a period of time and see whether or not you're going to fit into the culture of the company. 
and whether or not your work is such that they want to have you. Um, so I was really lucky. Mm-hmm. Now, I will be honest with you, I did not like that job because no. I realized very quickly this wasn't my forte. It was designing beer packaging. Mm-hmm. I don't drink, you know, so <laughs> not my thing. And not that that needs to be something, but you have to have a little bit of excitement about it. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of high-end packaging, beer, like Labatt's was their huge client. Mm-hmm. They were doing Shell Oil. But what came with that is because there were many, many decision makers within the companies, it meant that you were working on a project for a year. Wow. Could you imagine oh, signing wow. a beer pitch for a year? Wow. That would get yes. too much. <laughs> for me, this was not the pace of what I needed. I was not someone that wanted to move something point one point over and change the line width from one point to one and a quarter and then to one and a half and have people analyze it for a day and then go back and do it again. Yeah. And I was then very fortunate because of the year end show, as you know, we always make sure that we have industry coming in Mm -hmm. and someone had taken my business card Mm -hmm. and it was the Toronto star. They had called me and said, we're looking for designers for our front page section. I saw the work you were doing and boy, did they throw a lot of money at me. Yeah. So back in the, when I finished school, the average salary for someone junior was about twenty-two dollars to $25,000 a year. Mm-hmm. The Toronto Star offered me $40,000 a year. Oh, wow. Oh, Holy cow. <laughs> so I said, bye-bye <laughs> to <laughs> the company I was working for, which was a company by the name of Savage Sloan. I went off to the Toronto Star thinking this was going to be fabulous. And unfortunately, it wasn't. No. Uh, it oh, turned no. out that the writers did not respect the designers in any shape or form. They called our department um, Disneyland. Oh, my God. Oh, and wow. it was really hard to deal with design with people that didn't respect you. And yeah. we would ask them, you know, because we would want to put visuals in to be able to pull the readers in, but they didn't want to cut three words out or a sentence out that needed to be cut, which I can understand as a writer. That would be pretty devastating. I worked there for three months. I ended up getting very sick. I ended up with pneumonia. Oh, wow. And it was emotional because I was so unhappy with my job that I think my immune system kind of plummeted. It was a bit of a nightmare because all the all the lovely arguments with my mother about writing and stuff all came to the foreground because here were all these writers disrespecting and not liking our department. And it dredged up a lot of the old stuff of my mother saying, you can't put a proper sentence together. Yeah. Um, So it wasn't, I didn't feel that I was growing. The other thing that happened was that you can only use newsprint. And back when I finished school, paper was everything. Different stocks, the different printing methods that you could use. It was such a wonderful aspect. And I really missed that. Mm -hmm. So I ended up leaving after three months. Wow. And I freelanced for a year at various companies. I learned a lot from the Toronto Star. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't that I wasn't learning, but I thought I can't emotionally be doing a job that I'm not being respected for. It didn't make me feel good. 
So I freelanced at all sorts of different companies and learned a lot through that. And then I decided to travel, do my after college traveling. Mm -hmm. And I went to Europe for three months. I I ended up winning a trip. Oh, wow. I suggest to people that whenever (laughs) you see a bubble and it's like, fill out this form for a trip and put it in a plastic bubble. That's what I did. Oh, my God. It was Francophone week down at the Queen's Key. And the the man I was with at that time and still is, is French Canadian. So we went down there and he said, let's fill out these these forms. And I got a phone call from some gentleman speaking French, thinking it was Gilles, my partner. (laughs) And because my name, Nicole, is a French name as well, I think that they thought I was French. I I think they were very (laughs) disappointed that I wasn't. (laughs) Uh, No parlez-vous français. (laughs) The one thing I learned, though, and if this ever happens to anybody, you can change your return date on the ticket. So mm-hmm. I won a week in Paris and a week at a resort in the south of France. So it was two weeks in, in Europe and France. But I changed the return date for two months later. Wow. Okay. And I think now you have to pay a fee. But back then you didn't have to pay anything. So I went with Gilles for a month. We traveled a month and a bit. And then my sister came over and I traveled with her. I had saved money from the freelance work that I was doing. I didn't, I was still living at home at the time. So I didn't have rent or subletting to deal with. I didn't have mortgages. I didn't have really any true responsibilities. So it's a wonderful time to be able to do that and go and see the rest of the world a bit. Yeah. And did you work during those three months or were you, it was it just purely exploratory? purely exploratory, but I did have two girlfriends from college who actually went to England and lived there for six months mm-hmm. because we are a Commonwealth country. You can do that. So they went and they worked in galleries. They didn't work at design firms. I'll be honest with you. I don't think many of us ever thought we could even do that back then. Yeah. Uh, so it was more just travel and exploratory. Um, for myself. And it was lovely. It was a lovely, it was a really nice time. You learn about yourself when you're traveling, you learn about the partners you're traveling with when you're traveling. (laughs) (laughs) And and you learn about, and I would seek out every design shop, every book I could find anywhere, whether it was Italy or France, I didn't care where I was. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to see design. And I wanted to see all the beautiful books that I could purchase in all these countries. So I was very, very much exploratory because, as you know, as designers, we're curious people. Oh, yeah. Right. And that's Mm -hmm. it. And that's one of our wonderful traits that you just want. I would be curious Mm -hmm. and I would be constantly looking and taking photographs and just checking out this fascinating world that you knew nothing about before. Yeah. It's really amazing. But then I came back. Started to look for work, and just to give you an idea, ended up at a company called and my salary was twenty-two thousand dollars a year. So I went from forty down Mm -hmm. to twenty-two thousand, but I was never happier. I loved working at that company, and we gave our lifeblood. We worked overtime. We do all-nighters. We never got paid for it. We never expected to be paid for it. It was pure passion. Looking back, we should have been paid for it. We should have had time off. I think in the first six months that I worked there, I realized I had two months of overtime. In oh, it, but oh, wow. 
we loved it. We were yeah. all designers and we worked, 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 worked to do everything. So I really, really enjoyed that job. And I knew that I'd found my niche after those two jobs of which I did not find my niche. And that to me and my whole journey of being a designer, when you're not happy with where you are and it becomes a J-O-B, it's time to find another job. Mm-hmm. Being a designer is not a J-O-B. It is our lifestyle. It's who and what we are. We bring it home with us, unfortunately, at times. So if you're not doing something that you enjoy, that's giving you that creative soul that you need, it's a very long day to get through it. So I've had moments in my life, but I've learned. And what I've learned personally, you don't go after the money. I remember even being headhunted into a company. I was working on my own. I had worked for various firms after And then I decided I'm going to do my own thing, do my own freelance. And this is when our first pandemic hit, SARS. Many many of my clients were the incentive travel industry, Mm -hmm. designing things for salespeople to sell your whatever. You'll get a fabulous trip to so-and-so. Well, it all went per plunk. I had no work for most of that year. And I admit wholeheartedly that I got myself into debt. So Mm -hmm. when SARS ended and things were coming back up, I worked for a while, but I was in debt. Mm -hmm. I owed $10,000. And when this company headhunted me and threw big numbers at me again and car allowances and all these wonderful things, I took it because I had to be responsible. And within the first week, I realized you've made a terrible mistake. Oh my God. Also, because at that time I had had a child and knew that bills had to be paid. I knew that, you know, uh, benefits, all those things start to become important when you have a kid, you're responsible for someone else's life. Um, So I stayed there for two years. And my goal was to, and the, the goal was as soon as you're out of debt, you leave. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And that's when I came back to teaching because I was teaching before. Um, I made the error once of marking my hours down of how much hours it takes me to prep for a class, do the marking, oh. do this, do that. You don't do that as a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> you will not be happy with the numbers. Yeah. Um, so I left teaching when this job was offered. And after two years, when I was finished, I contacted the school again and said, I'm doing my own thing. If you need any professors, teachers, let me know. And they called me in and said, yeah, we've got an opening. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said to myself, you will never put your hours together again. Mm-hmm. You would do this because you love it. Not you're not doing it because of the pay. Mm-hmm. And because of that. So there are tricks I've learned and I pass them along to all the new teachers about how to make things more efficient, and how to not be making basically $10 an hour when you figure out your rate with the amount of energy you put in. And I explained to them the first year will be hard. You will be putting a lot of effort into it, but I guarantee you if you do it this way and use Blackboard, it will become very efficient and you will not have to be, you'll make $20 an hour. (laughs) (laughs) But this is why when we're hiring people that I have to make sure that we hire people that are passionate. If they're here to be making a great living, you're in the wrong, you're in the wrong field. 
you make a good living, but you don't make a great living. And as you know, or probably know, many of the schools are not hiring full-time anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's part-time people. Um, mm-hmm. So with that, most of the most of our teachers and even myself, I still was always doing my freelance and my own design work plus teaching. Mm-hmm. So okay. that that's the nice balance, I believe, because it means you're being taught by someone who's in the industry and they know exactly what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you have to do that. And even with myself, knowing that I'm not doing as much design work now and very aware of how much the industry is changing. This is why I'm taking Premier Pro so I can take After Effects because I know that everything must move. Yeah. And, I, and I do not want to be a dinosaur. And yes, I learned how to do animated GIFs, but I have to get much deeper in, mm-hmm. because our industry is changing and evolving. And I don't want to ever be a professor who is, you know, not doing, let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. I try, you know, I may not have as many personal projects, as I said, but I'm always making sure that I'm very aware of what's happening in our world. Yeah. That I'm not a dinosaur. <laughs> Even though it's I'm hard look- to keep up. It's moving like so quickly. That's the yeah. It really is. Yeah. This past year has accelerated everything. Everything. Uh, and we know it and we can see it. There isn't as much print work finally being done, which is sad in many respects. But in some ways, you can sort of see it's a little bit more efficient. Mm-hmm. Companies, do you really need to print out an annual report? It can be seen online. You don't have to. PDFs work. So there are yeah. certain things that you're learning and shifting. And there's a sadness to it for those like me that are a bit more old school, that I love to hold things mm. in my hand. That's why I never got into web design. I could have made millions. <gasps> no. I, I'm not touching a screen. It's not doing anything for me. I need to hold <laughs> print. So, you know, again, even if I could go back in time, I still wouldn't have done web design. Yeah. It, and it wouldn't matter because you could make a fortune back then, but it just wasn't, it didn't give me that excitement that print did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. PDFs gives me the excitement. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I had to send those around, do things. So it's good. Yeah. So I was just wondering, um, graphic design hasn't always had a reputation for like equality as we know graphic design is a mainly male dominated force or it was it's more it's shifting more towards uh equality but i was just wondering what your experience was when you were working in the field as a young female designer did you ever have to like fight for yourself and speak up and uh yes i did i had to fight very hard in the industry, and you're exactly right, it was a male-dominated industry. When I would listen to my father, the things that they would talk about and the language that they would use on how to move things, which I don't feel I can even repeat because it's so crass and so vulgar because it was against women, but it was a male-dominated industry, and then women started going into it. And interestingly enough, when you look in classroom makeups now, It's usually 70% women, 30% men. It has shifted. Mm -hmm. But when I was working at a company, a company by the name (laughs) owned by two gentlemen, there were how many? There were only two female designers, including myself, and there were seven male designers. And I can remember 
there was an instance that ground my gears, something fierce, because mm-hmm. we were designing, they had asked us, anyone could design new packaging for the Laura Secord Easter egg packaging. Mm-hmm. And I had put something together mm-hmm. and I had, you know, I had this makeshift airbrush system that you would use Pantone markers with a can of air and it would spray on the tip of your marker and you could do these kind of airbrush effects. And I had designed a package that was somewhat airbrushed with these stenciled rabbits and they used it in their presentation and the client chose it, but I was never allowed to be involved in the entire project. And I remember sitting there thinking, what's going on? You're using my design, but I'm not allowed to attend the meetings. And by the way, there were other junior males that were in those meetings. Oh my God. And I was, oh, 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 I did. (laughs) You didn't get put on the project at all? No, no, I didn't. They would, they would, they actually took it from me and someone else started working with it. And this was a junior, wasn't even like it was a senior. Mm-hmm. And I had also at the time found out that that junior male was making $5,000 more than I was. And this is why, if you can recall in ideas and images, I yeah. always have that discussion that mm-hmm. you ask and you know what the greats are because we tend to undervalue ourselves. And a studio, it's not that they're being sexist, but if you're asking for less and they like you, they're going to have you because mm-hmm. they've saved money out of their pocket. But I went and had a meeting with the owners of why I felt that I deserved a raise and I didn't get it. Really? And then um, I think, no, actually, I'm going to take that back. I think they gave me it, but they only gave me half of what I wanted. Yeah. But interestingly enough, they downsized three months later and I was let go. Oh my God. And I was let go while I was on holiday. I came back. (gasps) And I was livid. And I'm sure I was let go because I made a stink. Yeah. Because I said that I fought for myself and I just said, why am I not a part of this? You're taking my work Mm -hmm. and you're not allowing me to move with this. And I just realized, unfortunately, they were misogynistic. Yeah. Yeah. So the friends of mine that weren't let go, by the way, they let go of all the women. There weren't many of us. Oh, my God. uh, With two other two other young people and I still am friends with someone who uh, worked with them until they closed shop a couple of years ago. But I just said to him, you do, do women a favor, never hire them at your company. Make sure that you only hire men because we are not given equal opportunity. Mm-hmm. And they did, they actually never hired women again after that. Yeah. And I thought it was terrible. So that yeah. was the, worst that I had ever been a part of and I was not happy yeah Uh, so I'm an advocate for equal pay for the amount of work that is done our world is still we unfortunately many many of the art directors and the senior people are still men they're not women Mm -hmm. so I just believe we should always fight for it but look at some of the best design firms that are out there right now they're run by women block design um there are others that aren't coming to my head. Even Concrete is a couple, a man and a woman. Hamley and Woolly was a partnership between two married people as well. Um, but I think there's some amazing work that's being done by women. 
Mm-hmm. And I would gravitate towards those firms, to be honest, and make sure that people are treated fairly and respectfully. But I think the one thing about design now is, as I said, I don't think women are underpaid because they're women. I think women are underpaid because we don't ask for enough money. And our sense yeah. of self isn't as prominent as it is for men. Mm-hmm. So we don't go in saying, I deserve $60,000 a year. We go in saying, I'll take fifty. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always doing my little speech and ideas <laughs> and images because I don't I don't want any woman to ever go through that. And yeah. we have to learn about our self value and our self worth, mm-hmm. um, and we have to demand it. No, because so no one else is going to do it. No. Yeah, no, no one else is. No, and mm-hmm. it, again and again it happens even outside of our industry. I have friends that said, "Well, you know, I didn't ask for enough, and I'll never catch up to the men ever." Yeah, because they're not going to turn around and give you a ten thousand dollar raise. No, you know you'll still get good bonuses and stuff, but you won't because you've undervalued yourself. So knowing what the RGD rates are, knowing with what you need to go in with, Mm -hmm. and hold your head up high and feel proud about it. So, um, since like graduation has just recently happened and. So what kind of advice would you give to young designers that are trying to find a job? Um, I think you need to be proactive. I think in the times that we're living in, um, people tend to rely on Indeed and websites and I'll send in my resume and everything will be fine. That isn't going to get you a job nowadays. I think you have to make sure that you're looking at the proper websites like RGD You want to be looking at applied arts. You want to be looking at the school job boards, any school job boards, by the way. I totally believe that. You, I I shouldn't say this out loud, but if you have any friends that are at other colleges that they can get access to the school, to to the job boards, please do it. Um, But I believe you need to be a little bit more proactive and believe it or not, you need to pick up the phone. You need to pick up the phone. When you see a job posting, you don't just rely on, ooh, they'll look at my resume. Pick up the phone and phone them. Say, I saw your job. I'm interested in it. I'd love to send you links over because you're going to make an impression. You're going to stick with them because your generation doesn't pick up the phone anymore. No. (laughs) And the fact is, that you need to know how to talk on the phone because in business, you're going to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I remember a few students a couple of years ago saying, I asked them, why don't you phone people anymore? And I know texting is easy, but the, the answer they gave me was, I don't know what they're going to say to me. And I looked at them and I said, it's called a conversation. <laughs> uh, it's not that easy. And then it was interesting. We got into a really in-depth conversation because I came from the world that you came home from high school, you got on that phone, mm-hmm. you phoned your friend and you went over every minute detail of the day. Which for the- us, we got home and we went on uh, MSN mm-hmm. and on but chat boards. Texting, and, right? Yeah, so you're texting uh-huh. and you're texting and you're texting and you can get a certain thing and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of emotion missing from that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right? the amount of yeah. conflict that starts yeah. because people are texting and not talking. Mm-hmm. Because you can't read their tone. That's right. Or you accidentally hit caps and you're screaming at them like that. <laughs> you know, it's sort of an interesting it's me all the thing. Time. 
So I cannot tell you the number of people I know that have gotten jobs because they've picked up the phone and they phoned somebody and said, I saw the job posting. I'm interested in your job. I, you know, I'd like to learn more about it. They're actually always very open to it. Um, And I just know it happens again and again and again. So yes, you have to be kind to yourself. You have to be patient, but it's going to take work to find a job. I used to pace. I used to pace in front of my phone because I'd tell myself, okay, I'm going to phone them and I'm going to phone them at 10.10 because (laughs) they come into the office, they've had their coffee, they've had their meeting, they're sitting down to work and I would pace in front of the phone and I would phone before, I would phone the studios, find out who the art director was, get their name. Then I'd say, okay, I've got to muster myself up. And I was panic stricken. I'd be having anxiety attacks and the whole bit. But then I'd pick up the phone and someone once told me they don't know you from a can of paint. They don't see you. They don't know anything about you. You just have to be pleasant Mm -hmm. and respectful and inquisitive Mm -hmm. and they will help you. And they always did. And it always got my foot in the door. Because you use this line, and I think I've said it to you folks as well. You'd phone someone up and say, you know what? I've admired your work for the past three years. I'd love it. Could I take you out for a coffee so you could tell me how you got to where you are? Mm -hmm. It works again and again and again. (sighs) People don't like interviewing. They don't like it. They'd rather speak to a friend. We need a junior. Do you know anybody? Yeah, I just had coffee with this amazing person. And in the while you're having coffee with them, by the way, at the end, you say, I wonder if I could meet with you again to show you my work. Mm -hmm. And sometimes but in the old days, you'd bring your portfolio and you just put it off to the side. Mm -hmm. Now you could do it. I wonder if I could get you send you the link to my work to get your feedback. Mm -hmm. That's what sticks in people's brains. And they're going to remember you. Yeah. So even this year with the Yes show, we did portfolio day and we did pitch day. All the people that were doing the portfolio and pitch days are people that work in the industry, that were alumni from George Brown College. And you know what they all said to me? It means we get the pick of the crop now. Mm -hmm. We get to know how this person spoke, what they were saying about their work. So when I need somebody, I know exactly who to call. Mm -hmm. So that's the impression. That's the sort of click that you get in there. You want them to find work for you. Yeah. And they do because they'll say, yeah, I saw this amazing person. Why don't you give them a call? Mm -hmm. And then you have to follow up. You can't just blindly just say, well, that's it. You follow up with an email or a lovely piece that you've designed and pop it in the mail. Nobody gets mail anymore. (laughs) In our, in my day, when we finished school, you had to do teasers. We all had to design teasers, especially If you wanted to get into the ad world, you needed to stand out. So they'd be opening up resumes and teasers all the time. But you wanted to design that one where the art director said, wow, this is great. Let me call them. So going back a little bit old school to me, I would recommend to anyone looking for work because it gets your foot in the door and it gets your name known by that person. And not a lot of people are doing it either. No, so you'll stick out. Yeah, right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a first year student this year who's working in a design firm as an intern. 
It turns out my son is working at the same place as an intern. He's doing photography internship and our student is doing design for it. And with my son, it's because he picked up the phone Mm -hmm. and he got in the job that he was actually applying for was already taken, but they enjoyed the conversation with him. And now with technology, he said, why don't you look at my Instagram? So in the conversation, they could see all of his work. They said, we like your work. Let me bring you in as an intern doing something different. So now he's doing photo retouching, learning a lot, which is great. But if he didn't pick up that phone, he wouldn't have this job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's a prime example. And I'm I'm trying to track because I know the student, it's a first year student that actually got the job at, at this place as well. And I want to find out, how did you find about it? Because I know they posted on the OCAD website. We didn't have any postings, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. So he may have gone into other websites to find the work. But I'm, I'm going to ask him, how did you get this job? How did you go about doing it? Definitely. Because he's done something. He had some connection. There was some networking, something going on. Or he picked up the phone as well and was proactive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You can't just sit on your butt and expect things to come to you. You yeah. have to actually work for it. And it's a job finding a job. And I got to tell you, it's no fun. Nobody <laughs> likes it. It's horrible. Nice. And I would do my phone calls and then I would do my phone calls at 2.12. I would just do that just to get in the door. It is a job finding a job. And yes, yeah. sometimes you're really lucky with field placement you get offered a job, it's fantastic. And it's a beautiful studio and you're happy go lucky. But as you've heard from me, didn't work out quite the same way. But it is you have to be proactive. And then I realized for me, it was important for me to work for myself, I wanted to speak to clients directly, I didn't want to get it through an accounts manager. I wanted to see the whites of their eyes, I wanted to see the emotions on their faces. And the companies I worked for didn't bring juniors in to many of the meetings. So we were getting information two or three hand. And even as I moved up and being an intermediate, I realized I really wanted to work directly with my clients. Mm -hmm. So I started my own business. And I don't know, I don't even remember how I got the first job. I was lucky. No, I never had to go banging on doors. They always came to me. Because wow. that's <laughs> no, it's crazy, right? But the, here's the thing. So one of the best lecturers during the the Yes um, lecture series, I don't remember who it was. I think it may have been Sean Brown, who said, "I didn't look for mentors. I didn't look for people up. Mm-hmm. I looked horizontally." So that's the way he worded it. I didn't look vertically. I looked horizontally. Okay. So when you look horizontally and you get your 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 colleagues of your friends from school who have this skill set and that skill set and this skill set suddenly someone comes to you and they need a small job remember small companies grow you want the small companies i grew Mm -hmm. with them i had a little entertainment company that was doing a little television show called carl squared and groundling marsh i don't know if you folks grew up on that it was on ytv they wanted to make television shows for 13 year olds, because there was nothing in the market. So I would design their sell sheets to sell their, their shows. 
And they are multimillionaires. Somehow, I don't know how that didn't happen with me, but (laughs) they are huge. They're doing the cat and hat. They're working with Disney now. They're huge. They started working out of their kitchen. And I started doing design then. So when you're young, you don't have as many bills. You don't have to charge as huge dollars as big companies. So working with small little, little companies, startup companies, you don't know how much they're going to grow and you can get to grow with them if you keep them as a great client. So that's what happened. And then they would tell their friends. That's how I got the job for the camp because they were in their synagogue together. And, oh, I've got this young designer who's really great. Oh, I need a designer. Why don't you give her a call? So this is how it always happened with me. It was word of mouth. Mm -hmm. So small companies end up being big companies or medium companies. And sometimes they go per plunk, but it's, it's that horizontal. You want them doing the work for you. And fortunately that's how it worked for me. Yeah. And there were times. Yeah, there were times I did have to do cold calling to people and do a promotional piece and send out a hundred emails or excuse me, a hundred mails um, and then I would get three responses, but it's a way yeah. to start getting more and more work. And you also yeah. talk with your friends who are in design firms and they know somebody or we needed this or that. So networking, that scary, scary word networking, yeah. just yeah. about meeting people. That's all networking is. You want to meet as many people, go to different events, give them your business card, volunteer for the Art Directors Club of Canada because you're going to meet people who are in design firms. And I used to do that. I used to lay out the work for them to judge and I'd meet them and then I'd maybe get an interview or we've got a freelance job. Just meeting people. Yeah, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. And it's scary, but when you really think back, it's actually not. You're just meeting people. Hi. Yeah. You know. I'm so-and-so. I just graduated from George Brown College. Yeah. I've got a great portfolio. Can I show it to you? You know, yeah. and then suddenly things start to shift. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so what pushed you to start your own design studio? I think it was I didn't like getting things third hand. I wanted to work directly with the client. I wanted to hear exactly what it was they wanted. I wanted to feel their energy. I wanted to sort of see the expressions on their face when we discuss certain things, because that's where you click, mm-hmm. you know, and you suddenly realize, oh, they have a passion about this and this and this. Maybe that's something I could incorporate into the design. Or they're passionate about the color orange, and orange would be fabulous for this. Yeah. You know, they tell you that I really hate green. Note to self, don't put anything in green. <laughs> you know, it sounds so silly, but it's true because if you're not hearing what it is they that they want, um, I felt I wasn't I couldn't design the best that I could for them. And account execs are a different ball of wax. They're there about the money, they're there about client liaison. They're never designers. Yeah. So they could never talk the way that we could, but they talk the business talk. Now design is shifting now. We have we have to know both. Yeah. And you know what I say business talk business talk is basically BS. You just have to learn how to do it. Um but I realized I didn't want a middleman anymore. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to work directly yeah. with my clients. 
Um, so it worked out fortunately. Being able yeah. to ask those questions and actually have the conversations with the clients. Mm -hmm. it, First time. I bet, I bet it helps get to the solving the problem quicker, you know? Yeah. yeah. And not it, it losing is. things through communication. And mm -hmm. Exactly. And I will tell you that the reason why more and more account execs were brought into our world was because back in the old days, every designer would be in the meetings with the clients. And if the designer left and started their own studio, guess who left with them? The clients left with them. So it the company I worked for, the misogynistic company. Um, <laughs> they actually, they got their clients started because they stole them from the companies that they worked for. Now you're, wow. not, stealing, you're not stealing the clients, by the way. The clients have developed a relationship with you. Mm -hmm. And when you left, they wanted to keep that relationship still going with you mm -hmm. because that was the way it was done. So many of the companies stopped having designers in the oh. meetings so that they could not walk away with their clients. Mm -hmm. So wow. they couldn't build relationships. Yeah. Right. Now, not all companies, but there were a lot of them that did it. Yeah. So you couldn't build a relationship and then go off and start your own studio where you could have clients follow you. Wow. It doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. So it was, it was just an interesting thing. And I know if I could go back in time, I would probably like, would have liked to have learned to take a presentation course to learn how to be able to do the, the right vocabulary and the right way to talk in these meetings that would just make me sound much more businessy. Um, because I was a pretty relaxed person. I was still very professional. I would never just go in jeans to a meeting or anything like that. But I know that there was an area that I never really fully developed because I did not have that. And nowadays with the computer, you don't have to do presentations as much. Mm -hmm. You know, once you, I would do it always at the beginning with clients. And then once the clients form a relationship with you, I never had to present anything. You would send the files and say, what do you think? Which one do you like? Start from there. So it was a very different process. But big, huge jobs, you have to do a big pitch. You have to learn how to sell. You have to learn how to talk the talk. Make mm -hmm. sure that you've done, especially when you start dealing with RFPs and what have you. Um, yeah. So I was not, my design business was small. So at the most, I would be hiring my students. Nice. So my students oh. would come in and they would do work with me when I started getting really busy, but it was a one woman shop. Wow. I didn't expand out of that. And I know, again, because I had a child, I wanted to be a part of their lives. I was fortunate enough that when I had Dakota, it was the summer. So he was born at the end of June and my life partner was a professor. Mm. So they had the summer off. And they took paternity leave and had an extra three months off. Mm -hmm. So I knew because I ran my own business, I could only stop for three months or else I was going to lose every client. Mm -hmm. So over the summer months, I was with Dakota 24-7 along with Jill. But then Jill took over more of it and I started doing work in September. That was the one caveat about having your own thing was yeah. if you stop for a year, you're going to lose every single one of those clients. 
Mm-hmm. And you I can't did. just take vacation. No. <laughs> but it was no. interesting, even with um, with Jill when he was back, I had a caregiver come in. So I would, I'm going to be blunt, I was still breastfeeding and I would breastfeed, I was still able to breastfeed Dakota. So yeah. I was able to be able to feed him and then our caregiver would take him out to the park and take him for walks and, you know, what have you. But I could still be a mother. I could still be with my child Mm -hmm. so that it meant that I had a bit of both, but I didn't want to expand during that time because I wanted to be around. I wanted to be a part of his life, but it worked out beautifully for me. And I feel very, very fortunate. Um, I didn't have maternity leave. Mm -hmm. So nowadays though, you get maternity leave for a year. Back in my day, you got maternity leave for six months, but because I worked on my own, no, no work, no income. That's basically yeah. what it worked wow. down to. Yeah. But my clients were great and the timing worked because usually the summer months are, cl- are quiet to begin with. So I was able to have the three months fully not doing any work, being with him. And then Jill and the caregiver sort of coming in where things were done a little bit differently, but it meant I could still do my design and I could still be a mom. Yeah, you didn't have to sacrifice everything like a lot of women have to do. But Mm -hmm. nowadays, as I said, if you're working for a design firm, you'll get a year Mm -hmm. off and it will be paid. You know, 70%, I think, is the salary rate. Depends on where you work. Some are 80, some are 90. It's fantastic. Mm -hmm. So it gives you the opportunity to still be a parent and still be a designer at the same time. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. But that's why I did not grow my business. Okay. And then I started teaching. So it it just, and I was working crazy long hours anyhow, being a designer. Um, I don't think Jill enjoyed that too much because I did <laughs> long, long hours. And we lived in a factory setting where it was one big open space. So he could hear me at midnight, one of the morning, clicking on my keyboard. <laughs> Click clacking. <laughs> So, but I just to give you a, a kind of fun little antidote. So when I started my own business, I had to take out a loan to buy all the equipment. Oh, I had to God. buy a computer. I had to buy a scanner. I had to buy a printer. The computer, by the way, the first one I had was grayscale. It was not color. Oh. The printer oh. was only black and white. The scanner was full color. It cost me $16,000 to buy that equipment. So now I remember thinking I could have bought a car. (laughs) (laughs) I could be driving a very nice little car at the time. But I also, you know, I had to pay for that loan, my business loan to be able to pay for all this equipment and wanted to keep my business going. So it wasn't in the, and that was, I was lucky. If you were in the old, old days, you had to have office space. You had to buy huge amounts of equipment to be able to do your work. So now you can buy a laptop, laptop, right? Away you go. Boom. Put your shingle out. You've got a design business. Were you teaching at George Brown during that time when you were running your business? I was. Okay. Well, I, was actually, wow. I actually was pregnant when I was teaching at George Brown. Okay. And I will never forget that because I, the first class I ever taught at George Brown was Digi Apps. So oh. I was teaching Illustrator, 
Photoshop and Quark Express, which was before InDesign was done. And I came in to teach them all the programs, but also teach them design. And it was a very, it wasn't like a computer room like you, well, you can imagine the computer rooms now being pregnant is not conducive. (laughs) Yeah. My belly would be hitting the back of their heads kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) So it was interesting because the other thing too, and it's sort of a personal thing, but I didn't know I was pregnant. I was planning, we were planning to have a child, but I was three months pregnant when I found out I was pregnant. Wow. Because I very irregular sort of um, uh, cycle. And so that was my New Year's gift to my students because I had just found out before. So when we came back into class in January and the class was a year long, so you'd have Digi 1, then you'd have the students afterwards for Digi 2. And that was the first thing I put up on the screen was the ultrasound of this trying to go through what I'm going through in a very different way. But they were lovely. And I'll never forget it. I mean, they gave the students all pitched together and gave me a beautiful little baby basket full of lovely little things that I still have with a card signed by everybody. And it was just it was an interesting process. So I did teach while I was um, doing my own business, even before having Dakota. Mm -hmm. So Dakota, I stopped teaching, I think I took a year off of teaching. But maybe I didn't. It's funny, I'm terrible with memory sometimes. <laughs> but I I did teach afterwards and okay. always loved it. Yeah. Still- so flash forward to today and you're the coordinator of the graphic design program that you graduated from years prior. You really have had a full circle moment. Um, So my question for you is, where do you see the program like five years from now? Or are there any big new changes coming um, that you're excited for? One of the big changes that's going to happen this fall that the students are going to start to see is we are interconnecting the classes. No longer are the students going to be in isolated little bubbles. Mm-hmm. That you do type and type class, you go to design or do design, you go to production, you do production, you go to digi apps and do digi apps. So we have, or I have implemented a new system where one project every term must be interconnected with all the other classes. So for instance, in typography one, you design a poster, but in design one, you were designing a poster as well. And mm-hmm. in digi apps, you were doing a poster. Well, now exactly. you're going to be doing one theme of a poster yeah and you will be designing like you will in the real world that when you give a job to somebody you give them three different layouts so we will have one poster with one theme with three different layouts you will be doing the design and design class you will be doing the type and type class and you will Mm -hmm. be doing the production and digi apps So the idea is, and again, this is just first year, but the idea is, is if we implement this, it means the students don't have as much work to do. The work can be much more focused because you're able to do it. And as every year progresses, for instance, like in second year, you're going to be designing something in corporate or you're going to be designing something in advertising, but you're going to take that design and work with it in web design. So you're going to learn how to do applications across the board. Mm -hmm. So, and then for instance, yeah, like, so you're, if you design a a word mark 
in the corporate class, that word mark could then be used on a website and then it will be used in advertising to advertise for that particular company. So I'm trying to implement that so that the students understand connectability between all the different programs to lessen the amount of work that the students have, but to have it more focused mm -hmm. and be able to do more revisions. Because that's one thing that many of us find very difficult to do is revision after revision after revision. We want to teach you the next thing. We want to teach you the next thing. Yeah. But the world of design is 22 million revisions before you get to the final one. Yeah. But we do know that we need variety. There have been schools that beat a project to death in every single class and the students get bored because they're not quite ready for it. So that's one of the biggest implementations that yeah. I put in. Um, I'm excited by a lot of the teachers we have now as well that we've brought into the program since I've been there. I really want to make sure that we're getting people that are the best of the best and excited yeah. and engaging. Mm -hmm. I know that um, there will possibly in the future be some changes to thesis. Okay. Yeah. Um, we're sort of seeing how it's going to change, whether or not, because not everybody wants to do thesis. Really? It's, no. it's a big undertaking and it scares a lot of people and they're not quite ready for it. Yeah. So we're looking at possibly having a, a, a not a two-tiered system, but if you want to go into thesis, great. These are the requirements for you to be able to get into it. If you don't want to get into thesis, why don't you take more classes, mm. you know, and get your skill set up higher and higher in the area that you want to go into. If, say, for instance, motion graphics is what you want or interactive design, or even editorial, you'll be able to take more classes of that. Really? So they we're thinking about how we're going to implement this. It does take time to make these changes happen. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I would like to implement sooner rather than later is that motion graphics is a mandatory class. That yeah. Must take because of the importance, we see how important everything is with moving. Mm -hmm. Everything needs to move. Yeah. <laughs> Everything needs to move. Exactly. So I think it's more about massaging the, the classes that we have now, making them more up to date, making sure that um, students feel represented or could see representation in every single class. Mm -hmm. So a lot of more BIPOC designers being exposed to our students uh, more designers from all over the world, all walks of life, because I truly believe that if you see someone that is like you, I can do that. Look at them. They're there, too. This is what I want. That means I can get there. So there's much more of that. And we're in constant discussions with um, the different courses. We need you to implement these aspects. I need you to get more people of color to be shown. I need you to get more women to show, you know, their work that's going on. I want you to do indigenous work in your classroom. So this mm -hmm. is something that I think is extremely important, especially in the city that we live in, which is a fabulous, most multicultural city in the world. And I think our schools should reflect that. Yeah, definitely. So mm -hmm. I'm hoping it's been happening and that the students are realizing that because even when I hire people, I really look into all those different aspects. 
and make sure that we're getting more people in who, who the students can look at and say, wow, look at them, look at where Mm -hmm. they, that's something that I can do as well. And I can get there. Definitely. It's very important to have. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just figure our world is such, we need to do it. I've been uh, involved in a lot of BIPOC lectures in the past year and have certainly had my eyes open to how difficult it is for people. They have to work two to three times harder because they're not a white male. And having sort of done that as a white female, even in the industry and having some roadblocks put in front of me, I want to make sure that the students know there should be no roadblocks. You should be able to do whatever it is that you want. And I'm adamant about keeping this program too, because I love our program because people can afford our program. If they want to go on and go into branding afterwards, by all means, please do. But I want our program because it is, do you know, our program is the cheapest design program in the city. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. And Anna Rita, the chair, was the one who told me about it. We are the most economical program for students to take. Oh, wow. And we really are are very proud of that fact as well, because it means that you're not going to be terribly, terribly into debt. Mm -hmm. Um, Right now, I think it's $4,100 for a year to go to school. Yeah. And if you look at some of the other colleges, they're more expensive. I know. Mm -hmm. It was $7,000 in Montreal for the same like diploma for fashion that I did um yeah and then Mm. obviously it's so much more expensive for international when I hear their prices Mm -hmm. oh my god no it gives me heart failure it's four times (laughs) what domestic students pay four times the amount Mm -hmm. so you know and I love our international students I think it's great for everybody we learn yeah. so much from people from different parts of the world. And as you know, designers, the best designer that you can be is by learning from others and seeing other cultures. I mean, one yeah. of my favorite questions always in ideas and images was talking about people who are new to Canada. What was your first snowfall like? Yeah. What was your first winter like? Tell us what that's like having grown up in this cold, lovely country. <laughs> And it's wonderful just to hear those interesting little stories. And it gives you much more empathy to people. And you realize, you know, we've grown up in this. What would it be like for me to suddenly be plunked into a country in the Middle East? How would I survive? Yeah. You know, and implementing, um, we did this years ago as well, where we had our teachers who were international working with having um, workshops with our international students to understand yeah. the culture of Toronto yeah. and to understand the, the things that will make their lives easier by being in a brand new culture and a new language and all sorts of, I can't even, I'm always so impressed with international students. I don't know how they do it. Honestly, yeah, same here. I really same. Don't. Like being away from their whole like support system mm-hmm. and being plunked in this uh, new country and new culture, new language. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And they do such an amazing job. And boy, was it hard for them this past term. Oh, yeah. this past year was so difficult. When I started to realize that some of our international students were literally alone 24-7. This is why we started doing game night. We started implementing, um, you know, the salon again and getting all these things to, to feedback Fridays, anything for people to feel connected because they were so isolated. Mm -hmm. so it was really really hard so I'm 
I love the fact that I've grown up in Toronto. I love the fact that I've had friends all my life from all over the world. I've been exposed to different cultures, amazing food. It's such a beautiful thing. And I just want to make sure that through education as well, that same sort of sense of feeling that you belong and that you're a part of something is implemented. And I will be always looking to the future to see what is the next thing in our world of design. What is it that the students need to know? I would like to have, you know, the yes was such a success, the lecture series that we're going to do them throughout the year. Yeah, you know, where you can have idea. someone go and I need a little boost of creative inspiration. We're looking at the other thing we're going to try and implement are workshops this summer. Nice. Workshop. Yeah, that would be really fun. Mm-hmm. Understand the grid. How to use the grid. <laughs> These lines are here for a purpose. You know, <laughs> that kind of thing. Or yeah. even a workshop for pre-thesis. So the students yes. will know what they're looking at, what's ahead of them, how they have to start thinking a little bit more deeply about their thought processes. Little things like this, just to keep people's minds still in the world of design. Yeah. So this is something yeah. we're going to be trying to do. That's yeah, that's so what funny. I've struggled with each summer is like I get a summer job like in like usually it's serving and yeah. I'm just like doing that all summer and I don't even look at the computer and yeah. and it's it's horrible. But this summer I've like put I'm doing like multiple personal projects because I'm like I'm going to be using the Adobe Cloud all summer. That is my goal. I'm yeah. like going to be. I, I can't not use it. <laughs> you are so smart to do that because, and I always tell my students, learn these programs. If you yeah. learn them and when you go into second year or third year, you're going to be laughing because you get to focus on the design and the creativity yeah. instead yeah. of freaking mm-hmm. out. I, this is what I want to do. I have to do this huge tutorial. I don't know what I'm doing in these programs. So doing that, reading about design, reading about great designers, reading about the history of Muller Brockman, all those things will make you a better designer. And Skillshare is a great thing to look at. They do mm-hmm. have sales. Mm-hmm. And sometimes in the summer when they're quieter, you can get a really great class. You folks all have LinkedIn learning now as well. Yeah. I almost was going to do the LinkedIn learning to learn about After Effects. Almost. Yeah. <laughs> and then I decided, let's take a class. It'll be an interesting experience. Yeah. Said I'm learning a lot on the other side. But yeah, you know, all <laughs> things if you can because if you get your technical technical skills up, then your design skills are gonna go right through the roof. Because yeah. you don't have to yeah. put as much energy towards all that other stuff. And if yeah. you don't use it, you lose it. Like if you stop mm-hmm. using these programs, you it I know. There's well, like a recap phase. <laughs> There is, yeah. especially with things like Photoshop. You don't keep using that program or After Effects. I can't even begin oh, yeah. to imagine because I'm not on it. But if you're not using it, like you said, you lose it. So yeah, one no, of the you things, miss one update. It's like you're done. One of the things I did one year, because you know these programs are forever changing. That's mm-hmm. my frustration. Like they're fine, just leave them alone. Um, but they would always upgrade, always, always, always upgrade. I found an amazing book of tutorials for Illustrator. I spent the whole summer doing these tutorials and I loved it. And I learned how to do gradation and mesh when it was first coming out, all those wonderful things. There's a lot now I don't know because they're forever upgrading it. 
but it was, you know what, all I would say to anyone is do what you get joy out of. And I loved these exercises. They were beautifully designed. So I really was excited, <clears throat> pardon me, to be able to do those layouts because they were so great. And I would learn all these different things. And I spent my whole summer doing that, by the way, when I was working for a company doing a catalog of office chairs, tiny little drawings, outline drawings of every chair it was all type. It was all dimensions. It was going to kill me because it was so boring. And I was so bored that this is when I started doing this other stuff. And I thought I need to go home at night and be creative yeah. because I'm not creative in what I'm doing during the day. It was paying my bills, but there wasn't any creativity. So I loved it. And I learned from that. So when I had to learn Photoshop, I did the same thing. Mm -hmm. You know, that I just found these amazing books and I learned everything that I found daunting about Photoshop because I did find it very overwhelming at the beginning. Yeah. Because these it programs is. are designed by engineers. They are not designed by designers. So the way that they think is just a little bit differently than we do. <laughs> um. So I know that you thrive on interaction and building connections with your students. So I was just wondering what it's been like for you this year teaching online and how difficult it's been in that way. You know, it's been, I was panic stricken. I mean, wholeheartedly, I was panic stricken last summer. I thought, how is this going to happen? Oh my God. I watched every webinar. <laughs> I read every article about law online, everything, just panic stricken. How is this going to work? And it was an interesting thing. I suddenly realized at one point after about the second week of school, when I realized that students were not going to be turning on their cameras to try and build a connection with these people, I suddenly thought all I have to do is be me. Mm -hmm. So even now when we're talking, you see me, my hands are all over the place, just like <sighs> the class, you know, I'd be up and down the the pathways in the classroom and chatting with everybody. I do that the exact same way online. Yeah. So I will say my one benefit because I am terrible with names. I have been <laughs> cursed. I have been cursed. I have been cursed. And it's a wonder I teach, but you know what? I got everybody's name right because I could see everybody's oh, yeah. name. So that to me was really nice. So I would say, Emma, what do you think of this? You know, Yasmin, yeah. what do you think of that? So I felt like because I would say their first names, I would have a connection with them. And because I basically said to myself, you are an actor to a green light on a screen. Instead yeah. of being an actor in front of 30 people, you're the same thing. You just do it to a green light. Mm -hmm. So I think because of who I am because I am someone that's a bit gregarious and a little over the top <laughs> the way that I sort of you, you know that you can feel in my like I don't talk any differently than I would in class no. and I hope that passion comes across it does <laughs> so I didn't really change the way that much but I learned a lot I learned about connectiv connectivity between the students I learned how for them to, to come out of their shells, especially for first year students, even if it's as simple as the first day of class, I want you to grab whatever's the most important thing that you own right now in your life. Let, and I want you to talk about it. It was their cats, it was their keys to the car, it was their skateboard, it was their 
iPod, like it or their phone. It didn't matter what it was, but suddenly we were getting this connection. And people love pets, so everybody likes seeing everyone's putty cats. <laughs> yeah. And, <puppy> <laughs> and then you know we would, you know, even in class, I would say, "Tell me something quirky about yourself," and you'd suddenly discover in one year there's someone who's learning Japan, Japanese, and and are traveled to Japan, and someone else was taking a Japanese course. So suddenly there was this connection between the two of them. So I was trying very hard to do that. I, I realized by being a first year teacher that I was in a bit of a different ball of wax because these students would not know each other mm. in yeah. any shape or yeah. form. And I think it was relatively successful. I think yeah. I learned that this is why as a coordinator, mandated everyone to cut their work load down in the winter months because we realized we were killing ourselves and the students were dying so for both we realized it wasn't working we couldn't keep the same amount of work that we did in class mm -hmm. because of just computer fatigue yeah so mm -hmm. for the first year students did they did they reach out to each other? Do you think people like formed friend groups or was it very like individual? It was a lit. So the first thing that happened was a discord page. Yeah. So mm -hmm. One said, okay, I'm starting a discord page. I never went into it. I never saw it. I would never do that as a teacher anyhow, because they could gripe in their way that was comfortable with them. And I would never yeah. want to do that. So immediately discord pages came in. The connection started because of the introductions, so people would start to connect. But I was also then informed about second year and third year students doing Feedback Fridays with each mm -hmm. other. And I implemented that in my class. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think you guys need to connect. Yeah. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't know if they did it. I would never mandate that they do, but I just said, this seems to be working for people, and there's something really nice about that. Mm -hmm. And... I think it started to sort of come together. Every class is run differently. The one thing that I learned, I did a stop, start, and continue thing on Padlet for the students to fill out. They hated breakout groups. <laughs> hated them. So yeah. I stopped doing them. I didn't implement them anymore. Yeah. And we did full class critiques, which they loved. Yeah. And also, I... One of the other things implementing really making sure that the students know how to critique each other. Yeah. So they had to start doing that. And with Miro, where you can write everything on there, it's brilliant. They can get feedback from the students mm -hmm. as well as the professors. But there was something kind of nice. And I, I don't think I'm ever going to get rid of Miro, even if we're back. I love Miro. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's good. amazing. Yeah. We're doing class critiques of Miro. Because it's yeah. all there. Everyone can see it. I can have it up on the screen. So there's some wonderful things that have come out with yeah. online learning. And that, to me, is probably the best thing. Miro is fantastic. Yeah. I used to use Padlet. It's great, but not as good as Miro. Because Miro, you get to see everything at once. Yeah. Padlet, you had to click on them one at a time to see them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so there are little things that you're just sort of learning that we could implement a little bit more. But I have felt for them and I've asked them, but some of them connected, but it was really hard to, to sort of see. Um, yeah. I'd be curious to know how it was on the student side. I mean, if you were a January intake student in um, 2019, 
You had two yes. months of live school. Oh, yeah. They've done a year and a half not being in class. Yeah, that's what it was for my sister. And she's just like, it took me 18 years to move out and two months to come back in. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, because you need other people. Like, it's just, it's awful when I think about the fact that they haven't had that experience, which college experience should be. Yeah. Meeting new people, making connections, finding new loves in your life, you know, getting excited, talking about the world, talking about your work. So it's a very different makeup. Yeah. Um, so I, I wish I knew more. I wish I knew how it was for them. And I'm sad to see that they're going to have another term. So again, a year and a half of their education will be online. But yeah. I will tell you this, they did amazing work last in my first year of students. Yeah. Considering the adversity, adversity of what they were dealing with online, I was so impressed with their work. I can't begin to tell you. That's and I would just, you know, we would praise them again and again. You folks should feel really proud. Even for second year, you guys did some amazing work for me. And it was all remote. You know, yeah. who's to think? But I think the thing that I did hear from the students was they were so happy to be in school. Mm -hmm. It gave mm -hmm. them a purpose. Yeah. It gave no. them something to do instead of mulling around thinking we're all going to be dead with this pandemic. Because <laughs> we all <laughs> certainly thought that at one point. No. You know, are we going to survive? Is this going to be? And it gave them a purpose. It gave them somewhat of a connection to people. I hope yeah. the connections can grow and strengthen. Mm -hmm. um, but it was nice to see. And I will tell you, I've never had the best attendance all my life in teaching. <laughs> Yeah. 20, 22 years, I think I've been teaching something like that. And honest to goodness, they're just everyone came to class because yeah. there was no reason not to come to class. And it also yeah. helped them fill their days, which yeah. was really nice for them. So, I mean, it's an interesting thing. I'd be curious for you folks to even interview first year students. What was it like? You've had yeah. your whole first yeah. year of school. We definitely want to. Mm -hmm. That's because yeah. I think it'd the... be such an interesting thing to see because we've yeah. had our first year in person, well, like minus like two months. Mm -hmm. But like, it'd be such a interesting thing to see the differences and how they connected. Because us connecting even was so random. I think we just yeah. like mm -hmm. talk to each other in the hall. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's like they don't have that now. Yeah. No. And that's the sad part. And that's why when they're talking about the pandemic, when it's over, about still having online school, I actually am fortunate enough that I teach all of second year. So I was able to kind of do a poll within all the classes. How many of you want to stay online? How many of you want in person? Mm -hmm. 95 to 97% said we want to be in person. Yeah. So what they're looking at possibly at this point is there maybe, for instance, if there are four classes of typography, one of them will be available online. The other three will be in person. Okay. That's something they're looking at to see whether or not it might be um, the best of both worlds. Yeah, because yeah. online school does allow people to save money because they're not commuting. Um, people that live like in the GTA outside of Toronto, they can still like live with their parents while they go to school, yeah. not have to go and move in on their own and have rent. Yeah. So I do see the advantages to it. Yes. But 
it's so just I not think my it's, style. No, <laughs> I think but I think you're the majority rule for most people. It isn't because this is that exploratory time in your lives when you want to yeah. make some connections. But for health reasons, for people that may be much more introverted, for mm-hmm. financial reasons, all of these things could be really beneficial to having some courses online. So even at the beginning, when we were chatting about some of your courses, I was curious to hear which one do you think could remain online? Which one do you think could be actually done in person? Um, Because some of them are conducive to being online. They really Mm -hmm. are. And others aren't. So I think it'll be, it'll be an interesting mix. I mean, you know, they talked about whether or not we could have cameras set up in the classroom so that people could be logging in from afar not like a live stream. A live stream the class yeah. in the essence. Yeah. And as a professor sort of sitting there and realizing, I don't think it's going to work because yeah. I I would hate to think that I'm forgetting about the people that yeah. are on screen mm-hmm. and you're trying to do critiques with the people that are live. It feels yeah. like it just, it wanted to be ex- frightfully expensive to implement. They'd have to put all new equipment you, I wouldn't be able to pace up and down the room like I do because the camera may not be able to catch you all the time. Yeah. It might, we're not quite ready for that. But yeah. I think the option of having one section of a course being able to be taught online is one route. And the other route is one class in person, two classes online, one class in person, two classes online, or vice versa. You know, you'd come into the class for two weeks and then the next two weeks would be done online. Mm. So that's another option that we're sort of throwing around to see. Their Institute Without Boundaries, IWB, that's what they're doing. That's what they did, forgive me, before the pandemic even started. And they were able, they said it was very successful. It worked very well. But I think it depends on what you're teaching and how you're teaching it that could warrant that. So it could possibly work. So we'll see. And I think we're on to our final question. Um, So so the past year, everything's been online, work, school. Um, Do you think this is going to have a lasting effect on the design industry? And do you think it's going to become the new normal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I, I think for many corporations or any companies out there, the remote aspect of working is something that's here to stay. I believe companies will be saving a lot of money on rent, but they don't have to have as big comp- big offices anymore. So huge overhead. They be- because we've been thrust into this so so quickly, they realized it can actually be done. Now, yeah. one of the things that's interesting, a lot of students are sort of freaking out about the fact that people aren't printing anymore. You know, we can't see what the pa- what it looks like on a printed page and the difference of it. Even doing mock-ups, when you think about your mock-ups that you've done in the past year, boy, they look good. My stars, do they look professional, yeah. right? A heck of a lot more than when you printed them out and had to physically <laughs> make your books and your brochures. Yeah. So everything looks polished and professional. And I believe that with the mock-up things that everyone's doing, all companies will be using this now because there's your can of drink looking so amazing. It's incredible. I think many of this, many of this is going to stay. 
When you think about having international clients, in the old days, you'd have to get on a plane, you'd have to travel, you'd have a pretty big footprint going over to do your presentation. It can all be done online now. Yeah. Zoom has changed our world. You know, WebEx, whatever it is, Microsoft Teams have changed it and realized it works. Mm -hmm. So I think the one positive thing is that I think clients or design studios are going to have a lot more international clients. You can be anywhere in the world now and do work for them. And I think that's pretty amazing to be able to do and and save thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. I remember even when I was a junior, I had to fly to Ottawa, go and get art boards signed off and fly back yeah. all in a day. That cost a big chunk of change and environmentally was not great. Exactly. Now we don't have to do that. We can send a file. You can do a mock-up of a set of a, a canned drink. And my God, it looks incredible. We're doing that in the studio, wrapping paper around it. It's sort of a nice representation. But now you can see them exactly like better than what they'll actually look when it's printed. I believe there'll be hybrid systems where you only go into the office two days a week and you'll work remotely three. Yeah. I think there are lots of people that have young families and want to be a part of their families and want that sort of yeah. simplicity. I think as well that there are lots of people that are night owls that work really well at night. Yeah. And can do their work then and be able to have a little bit more freedom in the day. Um, of course, always meeting your deadlines, but it means you're not chained to a desk. And if you have a question or you want to say to somebody, what do you think of this? What do you think of that color? Is this typeface working? It's not as easy. Yeah. But I think it will be a mix. And I think people's life work balance will hopefully be better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully. So. well thank you so much nicole for coming on the podcast and talking with us uh we've taken up a decent chunk of your afternoon (laughs) yeah you You have lots of good material that you can work with and yes students lots of good stuff it'll inspire a lot of people hopefully that's the idea (laughs) yeah and it's exciting uh, to hear the different changes that are going to happen to the program Mm -hmm. and yeah the world general indeed When I was asked to be coordinator, the main thought process I had was I'm going to make this the best damn design program that there is in the city. And that is my goal. And I will work as hard as I can to get there and to get everybody to feel really good about the work they're doing, feeling great about that you have making sure that you are definitely doing what is what is needed within the design industry so that you can all get fabulous jobs and be picked as the cream of the crop. And I will tell you as well, like it was wonderful to be part of the thesis judging this year and to hear the comments, boy, were people impressed, really, really impressed. And also some of them taught at other schools and they said, you've blown every you've blown us out of the water. Wow. So it was really, really exciting to hear. So that's my goal. I want that every single year. We want your students. We want your students. We want your students. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. I know we appreciate that so much. So thank you. Honestly, yeah. For everything that you do. Yeah. And also, everybody, every always know if you ever have any ideas, if you ever have any comments, if you want to share your thoughts with me. I've had many of the graduate students call me 
give me their idea, what they felt worked, what they felt didn't work and have open conversations. And it's great because you're the ones I can learn the most from because you're on the other side. And we want to, I want to hear what is it that's working? What isn't working? What classes are you loving? Why aren't you enjoying that class? What is the aspect about it? What can we do to make things more exciting and engaging and interesting so that you really want to come to school? Yeah. You know, that's the whole thing. Get up in the morning and say, Yay, I'm going to school. Because <laughs> that's what it was like for me. I loved going to school. I loved yeah. it. It's the first time in my life that I loved school because I was doing what I really loved yeah. and was learning about this wonderful industry. And that's that's the whole goal. Make sure you know that this is what you want and put your effort into it. And if you make the classes great and the professors are great, then hopefully that will help facilitate that for every student. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Well, thank you so much. Thank you all very much. Thank you so much. much. It was nice talking to you. All right, guys. So that was our episode with Nicole Dimson. As you heard, we went over a wide range of topics and we hope that you've learned as much as we did. Make sure to give us a follow at SOD Docs on Instagram so you can stay in the loop for who we're interviewing next. And yeah, we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye.